All right, today on the Button Up Podcast, we have Tim DeSaint coming at us from the other side of the world in Australia. Tim, how are you? I'm doing amazing, man. How are you guys? Excellent. Great to catch up with you again. Brock and I got to see you in person at Menfluential, but we have followed your rise since October, which was really like, seems like your big turning point on the channel. We're really excited to hear your story and learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, man. It's been pretty crazy indeed, so... <laughs> Where do I start? So my name is Tim DeSaint. I'm uh, I'm a fashion and lifestyle content creator on uh, YouTube and Instagram. Those are my two main platforms. Uh, I started getting into fashion around my teenage years, I would say, when I was like 14, 15. I used to be a bit uh, a bit of a geek before that, you know, <laughs> playing video games and stuff. I was a chess nerd, and uh, as I started going to parties more, dating, socializing, that kind of stuff. Once you hit puberty, you know, it tends to happen. I started getting more into more into fashion and caring more about the image I was projecting. And I was like, oh, wait, it actually matters how I look. And I had I didn't really have a very good idea of my appearance before that. I wasn't I didn't have that self-awareness. And that's how I got into fashion. And that kind of spurred into other creative areas because I don't feel like I was uh, that much of a creative kid before that, but once I got into fashion, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, like the creative aspect of fashion and dressing up and picking out different outfits. And I got into dance from that, and uh, I've been dancing for 10 years now. That's uh, a passion I've kept going until today. And then, yeah, that's spread into photography and videography now, and fast forward today, making YouTube videos. <laughs> so when you get into fashion, this is when you're in France? Uh, I was actually in uh, Uruguay or Ecuador at that time. I had a had a. Pretty... Okay, wait a minute. I never heard those countries before. You need to go. Back, you need to go <laughs> back a little bit further into like because I, that's what I that's what I love he knowing too is like you have a little bit of an accent, but you know I can't really tell where it's from. So where'd you grow up and like take us through that progression? Yeah, so I had a pretty hectic childhood. So I'm French Japanese, um, but I grew up traveling the world moving countries every three years, more or less. So I was born in Paris, moved to Japan two weeks after that, <laughs> still a baby, uh, spent the first six years of my life in Japan, and then back to France for three years, and then another three years in Canada, in Toronto, that's where I learned English, and that's probably where most of my accent is from. And then I went to South America for a while, three years in Uruguay, which is a small country, right next to Argentina and they make excellent meat. You got to try it if you go there. And then three years in Ecuador. So that's where I learned to speak Spanish in both Uruguay and Ecuador. And I was at that time between 15 and 18. That's when I was in Ecuador. And yeah, that's probably when I started to get into fashion and all that jazz and dance and stuff. Then I moved back to France uh, after I was 18 to pursue my studies. I got a went in a business school, got a degree, got a master's in marketing. And somewhere in there, I also spent a year in Taiwan. And now I'm in Australia. <laughs> nice. And you're moving around. Is your dad an ambassador? What's uh, what's the story there? Yeah. So my parents are actually divorced. I never really spent too much time with my dad. I was mostly following my mother around, who worked for the French government as a diplomat. Uh, well, that's very sexist of me, but that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Okay, so so you're moving all around, and you're are you kind of building a new life each time, or do you have the sense of like you know you're here for a little bit, you're gonna keep going? Like, what's that? 
what was that like? Uh, so I didn't really know. I never knew anything different. So it felt pretty normal to me. And my mom had explained it to me that we would always be kind of moving around because that was her job. So it felt pretty normal to me. And yes, I had to adapt each time. And as I grew older, especially around my teenage years, you know, you start getting attached to your friends and that kind of stuff and your social life. So it became a bit harder. I remember when I left Uruguay at the age of 14 or 15 to go to Ecuador, I was pretty sad about it. I was pretty bummed. I was like, oh, I'm going to lose all my friends. And I like this girl and <laughs> what's going to happen now. And you got to make all, all kinds of new friends. But in the end, I, I'm pretty grateful for it because thanks to that, I had the opportunity to, first of all, learn a bunch of different languages. So French, English, and Spanish. I can say I'm pretty fluent in all of those. And uh, also taught me to be adaptable. Like since you have to move countries every time times and you go into new social circles and meet new people, you just, you got to adapt. And the thing is also every time I moved country, most of the time I didn't speak the language of the country until I got there. So it was like, I got there and all the signs were in English or all the signs were in Spanish and everyone was speaking that language. And I'm like, okay, so I better learn really fast. So I actually, since I was put into the environment instantly like that, I had to learn super fast and learn English and Spanish both really fast once I got into those environments. Was there like a certain place that you moved to and you were like, I really like the aesthetic here or because I know you're kind of getting into style and moving around at the same time. But did you ever get somewhere like to a certain country or city? You're like, wow, I really like the way people dress here. Yeah. So that's a question I get asked often. Like, what's your favorite country? What's the favorite place you've been to? And I feel like there's beauty in all places. I mean, it's a bit cliche to say that, but I feel like oftentimes people daydream about a certain country or a certain location or, oh, Paris, that must, must have been so great. Or, oh, Canada, or I don't know, whatever place you've been to that they haven't been to, they think it's crazy and it's so good and so beautiful there. And, and it is, I think all countries and cities have their own charm to it. And there's things you can learn about and enjoy in wherever you are, you know, but in the end, the people like the people in Paris are doing the same thing as the people in Moscow or Tokyo or whatever. We're all living pretty similar lives, more or less, I feel like, especially in Western countries. So yes, each country has its own set of landscapes and city and everything's different, but in the end, it's not, I wouldn't say that the grass is greener each time. So since I had that opportunity of traveling around a lot, I got to realize like, well, everybody's kind of living the same life. You kind of do different things and stuff, but it's all great everywhere. So mostly I just try and enjoy the place I'm at where, when I'm in it. And I don't necessarily look forward to the next place I'm going or try to be nostalgic about some place I was before. Mm -hmm. My father-in-law is first generation from Uruguay and he constantly tells me that he's going to get a farm and we're going to go back. Like he's going to go home and like, that's where we're going to end up visiting him pretty soon. So I've heard a lot about Uruguay through that, but, I, uh, it's that a is very cool. Country. It's a beautiful country for sure. It's very flat, plenty of beaches. And, uh, I think the tallest mountain, if you can call it that there is like 500 meters. So <laughs> it's really just a hill. <laughs> it's very flat and yeah, it's beaches. versus pretty cool place. That sounds pretty good to me. So you go back to France, 
you're starting to get into style and you're going to start studying. So then what, what takes you from there? Exactly. So I go back to France, uh, get into a business school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I never really knew what I wanted to do while growing up. I always had kind of these ideas and where I come from, my family, well, just my mother, actually, like my mother's been my entire family. I don't have any brothers or sisters or siblings or uncles or whatever. So my family is pretty much my mom. And she comes from a pretty difficult background where she was abandoned as a child and she lived in Cambodia during the genocide. And so she had a pretty rough childhood and never really had that stable path. So once she got into the government and working for them, which is a very stable career, it's like she got attached to that and she wanted to, that's the value she taught me where it's like, you never know what can happen. You need a stable job, get that corporate job and get that stable life, you know? And so that's the values I was taught. And I never really knew what I was supposed to do, but what I knew or what I thought I knew was get good grades in school. I was always like first or top three of the class, get good grades in school, go to a, go, get a good education, go to college and then get a great job and you live a good life. So I kind of took that for granted and I was like, okay, that's, that's just what I'm going to do. It sounds pretty okay to me. So I got into business school. I went into marketing because it felt like a very general path. I thought, okay, if I do marketing, it's, it's a kind of jack of all trades. I can kind of do mostly whatever I feel like doing after that. So got into that path and I got a couple of different gigs. I worked as a PR at one point, but once I started my first corporate gig as a marketing project manager in this pretty big firm in France, I realized like two weeks in that this was not the path for me. It was like an instant light bulb, a switch, whatever you want to call it. It was really instant. Like my whole life, I wasn't really sure. I was just kind of following the thing. But once I got into practice and got into the gig and did that, after two weeks, I... I knew that this was not for me. I mean, I'm grateful to to have had the job and everything and not to take a, anything, anything away from there, but I just knew that it wasn't for me. So I, I thought, okay, I, I need to figure out something. <laughs> I need to start doing something, a side hustle or whatever, because this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And since I had been into fashion for, for quite some time, in the back of my mind, I always kind of wanted to start a fashion blog. When I got into fashion, that's that's the first type of content that I started reading, like fashion blogs, some YouTube videos, but mostly a lot of blogs, whether it's GQ, like physical magazines, or maybe some blogs online, like I found out about Real Men Real Style, uh, GQ Online, Fashion Beans, I still read today. I think those are really good <laughs> websites. Mm -hmm. And I always, in the back of my mind, wanted to start a fashion blog of my own. So I thought, okay, maybe I should start doing that now. And at that time, Instagram was really, it was really mature. It was really popular. That's, that was the main platform everyone was into. So just for context, that was in 2017, like end of 2017. And I thought, okay, why not start posting fashion pictures on Instagram? And uh, my girlfriend at that time, still my girlfriend today, she, uh, she enjoyed the photography aspect and she was like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll take, I'll take your pictures. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. Uh, so I got a camera and uh, no, actually I got an iPhone. First I had an iPhone and we started taking only pictures with the iPhone. And I just started taking pictures and posted on the Instagram. And I committed to posting a picture every single day for like a year. And I say, okay, let's do that. 
and let's see what happens after that. So I did that for a while. For I've been doing Instagram for a year and a half now. And somewhere along those along that path, I also started and quit a couple of different ventures. I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but started two fashion blogs, which I stopped. One was about just about myself, and another one was this fashion blog, which was kind of a mix between humans of New York and men in this town, where I would go out and interview people in the street and shoot their pictures and then put a quote of some interesting story they said about their about their clothes or about their style or about their life. And actually you can probably it's still I think the website is still up. What's it called? Simpleboldfits.com. Simpleboldfits. Yeah, simpleboldfits.com. We're gonna put Pretty that sure in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not active at all on there anymore, but it's still there. I posted maybe twelve or thirteen articles. You can check it out if you want. But the gist of it is I was in this period of my life where I wasn't exactly sure of what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to do this. And fashion has always appealed to me. And I had been in the creative field of like dance and fashion and all that for, for quite some time. And I was like, maybe I'll enjoy this photography thing. So I got into that and then I was like, okay, let's, let's try and start blogging. Maybe I'll enjoy that. But I quickly realized that I didn't enjoy blogging. So I didn't enjoy writing the articles. It, it was too much of a hassle and it wasn't something I enjoyed doing. So I tried it. I committed to it. I, I wrote a couple of articles for a couple of months, tried it twice, but then stopped both times because it just wasn't for me. I wasn't feeling the writing. But photography, on the other hand, like Instagram and fashion photography and all that, I really enjoyed it. Like as soon as I got into the editing of the photography, I absolutely fell in love with it. I watched like 50 plus hours of tutorials online and tried to learn all the ins and outs of it and just got really hooked on that. So got super hooked on, into photography. Somewhere along there, I started doing freelance photography because I got pretty good at photography for, for my own photos. And people were telling me like, oh, maybe you should start doing that on a freelance basis. And yeah, got a professional camera, got a couple of freelance gigs here and there. And I've been doing that also for the past year. And then in October of 2018, I feel like I'm starting to ramble, but <laughs> no, it's all right. 2018, uh, that's when I started my YouTube channel because I had been doing Instagram for, for a year now. And I was like, okay, I've done this for a year. I've seen some results, but not nothing too crazy. And YouTube is this great platform where there's a lot of discoverability. And I think it can may maybe be something I enjoy as well. Just like blogging, I went into it with the approach of, well, I've never tried video. Let's give it a shot, see if I enjoy it. If I don't, I'll just stop doing it after two months, just like, just like blogging. So I got into it, started making a bunch of videos, and just like photography, it turns out that I loved the editing process of it. I don't know. I just I love the editing process of photography and videography and the art of like creating creating something visual with whatever tools you have, whether it's an iPhone or a professional camera, whatever you have, whether it's iMovie or Premiere. And I got really into it. So I started that in October of last year, got some pretty good results pretty fast. But the real results came in January, about two, two months in, where I had two videos go very viral, one that hit over a million views. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's crazy. So that, I mean, that, and that was one of your first videos, right? Yeah, so that was actually my, my very first video. It wasn't the first video to go viral, my first video to go viral 
I remember it very clearly because it was, <laughs> it was on the 1st of January, right after New Year's Eve, I woke up and I had like, the video had gained maybe, maybe 6,000 or 7,000 views or something. It, it started growing like super quickly and I was like, wait, but what's going on? Mm -hmm. And it was this video, it was a review about the perfect white t-shirt. I made, I made kind of a vlog slash review where it was like the perfect white t-shirt, who makes the best? And I reviewed a whole bunch of different white t-shirts. And the funny part is that on my channel, uh, the, the type of content I make is usually very short, very concise and straight to the point and pretty cinematic. And that's how I like my videos. And when I went into YouTube, I'm like, okay, I want to make super short videos because sometimes I get bored of other videos and I want to make it super short and just straight to the point and very visual. And this video was kind of not that short. It was the longest video I had ever made. It was 13 or 14 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And once I had made it, I was, I was not happy with it. That was the, in my head, it was like, that's the video I'm the least proud of. I'm not sure I want to post this, but I committed to it, so let's just let's just post it. And I posted it, not expecting anything. And then a week after that, it went viral, and I was like, "Whoa, that's that's weird. Why why did it go viral? I hated that video." Yeah, good thing you posted it, man. <laughs> <laughs> good thing I did, yeah. And I feel like that was the initial launch of that was what triggered the rest of the videos on my channel. So that one went, went viral at over 100k. It's went like 125 or something. And then it kind of slowed down, still going up, but slowed down a lot. And then my first video that I ever made, which was six ways to wear a white t-shirt in 120 seconds, picked up like two weeks after that, mid-January, it picked up super, super fast. Like I had never seen that kind of growth before. Mm -hmm. There were some days where I think on one day, the highest amount of views I got in a single day was like 90,000. <laughs> and most days it was like 50,000, 60,000 views every day for like two weeks. And that one surpassed a million views in like two or three weeks. And yeah, I guess. <laughs> and that was coming that that was coming with a bunch of subscribers too, right? I mean, you're just seeing hundreds of subscribers or maybe thousands in a day, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About about a thousand a day for for a good two weeks, I would say. So a after having experienced that, which is like, you know, we kind of live in a... In, in a time where everybody wants a viral hit and it obviously I'm sure that feels amazing. But now when you put something out, are you like hoping for that? Or like, it, do you feel bad if a video doesn't pop off like that? Or how, how does that affect you now? Yeah. So every video I make, uh, I go into it with the base, like the standard, the base quality that I want to achieve is would I click on my own video as in does the title and thumbnail, appeal to me in a way that if I see it in my recommended next to a bunch of different videos, a bunch of different topics, some of them the same topics, would I click on mine? Do I think that personally, in my opinion, it's good enough for me to click on it? And then once I click on it, is it entertaining enough during the entire video to make me want to watch it? So that's the baseline I go into it. I go into for, for each of my videos. I wouldn't say that I expect any video to go viral. Of course, I hope that it gets as many views as possible, but not a single video I created on my channel was like, okay, did I, this one's going to go viral. I'm like, let me just try and make the best video I can make. And if I'm proud of it, that's good enough for me. And mostly it's just, just trying to make good content. And then you just see what, what happens. I mean, 
that video that hit over a million views for me it's i mean it was my first video and quality wise i would say it's one of my worst the the color grading is not there there's a lot of things that are wrong in the editing that i mean that i don't personally when, when i watch it i'm like ah shouldn't have done that i should have done that and but it still got over a million views so it, it right. doesn't really mean anything i mean there's plenty of videos that i made I, that i think are much better than that that got that didn't get as many views so yeah and there's definitely an element of luck to it and i mean that's kind of why i ask it because it's it is impossible to control you know i think we all want the stuff we create to do well for people to like it but there is an element of um uh surprise i guess where like you can't you can't guarantee that anything's going to be a hit so um that's just interesting because a lot of people don't don't get to experience that feeling of you know having something kind of taking off so it's um interesting to hear your you know how it felt for you yeah and you can never guarantee anything the only thing you can do is do your best and the thing is also with viral videos i mean what i experienced and what i've seen other people experience from from speaking with them is that it doesn't it very often does not go viral instantly like in the first day or week or whatever i mean my first viral video took off a week after that which is still very like pretty quick but that one that hit over a million took about three months mm -hmm. to start ramping up and some videos take like six months or nine months or a year before they start ramping up so you never really know like in the back of my mind, I'm like, maybe that's this video that's not doing very well today, maybe it's going to do well in a year. So you never know. Yeah. That was my underwear video. It took six months. It took six months to get 10,000 views. And then I had 50,000 views in one weekend. And it was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you never really know. Well, I'm, I'm really curious because you have a distinct visual style. Did you take cues from other YouTube video categories or were there certain channels at the time where you were like, they're doing it right. I like that style. And then kind of went, went in that direction. Yeah, so when I started my YouTube, uh, I hadn't been watching like men's fashion or even fashion YouTube videos for a while. I had my phase where I would like binge watch a whole bunch of fashion content and read a lot of blogs and stuff like that, which was more like five or six years ago. And after a while, I just kind of grew out of it. Like I still enjoyed fashion a lot. Back, but I Back when Aaron was in his bedroom. <laughs> Exactly. I just didn't get my fashion inspiration from videos anymore. It was more about still blogs, still a couple of blogs, but mostly just walking around the street and seeing the people around me and stuff like that. And a lot of Instagram too. I, I would use Instagram a lot for fashion inspiration where I would save a bunch of pictures that I enjoyed and ma make these collections and stuff. So at that time, uh, I hadn't been watching that many fashion videos. I had been watching more more like a lot of photography videos since I was into photography. So a lot of photography videos, bloggers like Casey Neistat or Peter McKinnon. So I would say that the majority of my YouTube consumption uh, was not fashion at all. It was more videography and filmmaking and just vlogging, like vloggers, that kind of content. So I would definitely say that the inspiration that I got for my videos was from those types of content, which I think was actually a big help because it allowed me to have a different perspective, I would say, and like an, a very fresh eye coming in. So I was like, okay, like I'm watching all this stuff that Sorella Moore or Mango Street or Peter McKinnon are doing. And I'm like, I love that. That looks super cool. Nobody's doing that in fashion. How, how can I like learn or get inspired from that and kind of make it 
my own thing, but in my in my niche. So I would say that most of my inspiration came from that. Hmm. Are there any um, channels, I guess, now that you, you know, you watch every video they put out? Uh, so now that I'm a lot more into like the, the fashion scene, there, I definitely keep up with other creators who are in the same niche and friends like you, the Cavalier, Hugo, and Marcel Flores and that type, those types of people uh, of creators. And, uh, yeah, and I, I just keep, I keep watching the same, like Casey Neistat, Peter McKinnon. Mm -hmm. I still watch the same YouTube. Like I didn't change my YouTube consumption. I would say I still watch the, the same kinds of videos and still keep up with what other creators are doing and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I wanted to say also, like, when I got into it, uh, I had been talking to Hugo, uh, to Eric from the, the channel Hugo for a while, where he started like a year before me. And uh, I actually started following him on uh, on Instagram. I think I found him through my Explore or something. He had he had this flat lay picture, which appealed to me. I was like, oh, this is, this is a cool picture. And he had like 600 followers at that time. And... I followed him and I think I was doing feature Fridays at that time where I was featuring other, other people on my, on my page and I featured him on my channel, gave him a shout out. And that's how we started talking. And, uh, he, he had like a couple of YouTube videos at that time, definitely less than a thousand subscribers. And then I saw his channel blow up and I was like, Whoa, this guy's doing like completely different stuff than what other creators are doing in this niche. And he's making it work. And I'm like, it's not exactly what I want to do, but like it's it's in the same direction that I want to go in with the visuals. And I'm like, I like what he's doing and he's making it work. So that opened my mind to the possibility that I might do something that's not like the type of content that's out there, but people maybe maybe will enjoy it. You never know. So I thought, okay, this 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 was the the thing that I needed to open up my mind to the possibility that my content could maybe work. Yeah, We need to get a hashtag trending, hashtag bring back Hugo, because he's been quiet for a while. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. He was supposed to join us at Influential, but he had a, a family thing come up. No, I sent Brock a screenshot, I think in like December, and it was on your your video. I think it was the, the very first one, and Eric had commented like, hey, great video, and I and. Then right underneath it, that in that you know he he commented right when that video went up, and then right underneath it, somebody commented like, "You mf'er, never steal this person's song ever again." Like somebody angry, and I sent that to Brock, and I was like, "This is the internet. This is the internet in a perfect screen capture. It's like huge channel giving some love to a smaller guy, and then somebody comes in and is like throwing eggs at the at the screen, and it's like." Uh, I, I just, I thought that was great. It was great because it was great to see Eric like reaching out like that. I always like when I see, uh, you know, Aaron will comment on people's videos sometimes and it's like kind of getting, getting the, uh, getting the blessing from the established players. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And that's pretty crazy because I remember that comment, that guy who was like, was mad that I used that, <laughs> that artist song. And I responded to the comment because I'm paying a subscription for a plat, like I'm paying the creator. I'm playing a subscription to a platform that pays these artists and puts their songs up for creators to use. And I'm using it completely. Like I have the full license and right to use it. So I explained yeah. that to him and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know exactly what I said, but in my mind, I was like, what are you doing for the artist? I just gave him money. <laughs> yeah. He's, but, he's putting some valuable comments on YouTube. To, no, that's his contribution <laughs> to, uh, to the world. Well, that, that's a good segue. Like how do you deal with, 
negativity and trolls on YouTube because I feel like it's, it's a unique platform and that negative people tend to gather there versus like Instagram or blogs. Yeah. So I read all of my comments. (laughs) I try to reply to all of my comments. That's something I've been trying to keep up with. And, uh, even the negative ones, like, unless the comment is very, unless I really can't respond to it as in, it's just completely absurd and I just don't see what I can respond to it, then I won't. Or if it's really, really mean and just unnecessary hatred, I might remove the comment, but generally I'll try to respond and I'll just say, well, sorry, you didn't like the video or whatever, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I usually try and respond and I don't really let it get to me because I feel like when someone takes the time out of their day to leave a negative comment on someone's video on YouTube, that usually says more about the person leaving the comment. (laughs) So you kind of came into it with that expectation. Like you came in with a thicker skin. Yeah. 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 I I knew that was going to happen and, uh, yeah, they don't, they don't really care much for it. But when did you feel comfortable to start doing this stuff full time? Because when you were first getting in photography and uh, and you know working on Instagram, you were still working in the marketing job, right? So uh, I was working in the marketing job when I started my Instagram, and then it, during that year, I had a marketing job, was doing my Instagram, and then I had to write my thesis. Uh, my master's thesis for my for my school, which was the last sort of task I needed to to graduate from my school. So I did that, and while I was writing my thesis, obviously I had some free time to keep up with my Instagram. And once I was done with that, once I was done with all all the school stuff, uh, we wanted to move to Australia with my girlfriend just for a year because you could get that working holiday visa pretty easily if you're under thirty. They'll usually just let you in for one year. So we decided to move here for a year just for the fun of it, to get the experience. And uh, I went into it, I had some savings and I went into it telling myself, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to make the freelance photography thing work and keep up my social media, see what happens. So yeah, it was, it was a mix of kind of dipping into my savings, uh, whatever savings I had, and then getting a couple of freelance gigs here and there. And then once I started seeing my channel pick up super quickly in January, like during that month in February and even today, like I started getting a lot of emails from brands and that kind of stuff that wanted to work with me. So in my head, I was like, okay, maybe I can, I can kind of do this as a job. So I'm actually still in this period right now of transitioning into full-time YouTube, which I will hopefully be able to do by next month or two. Uh, I'm going to start working with, uh, with a couple of brands that are really cool. I'm really excited about that in the next couple of months. So yeah, I'm still in that in that transition period and hopefully I'll be able to make it work. If not, I'll just get a job. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of potential. Uh and we, we talked about this a little bit in in Atlanta, like you know, with you working with brands in in the same way that you take a unique approach to your content, you can take a unique approach to, you know, partnerships and sponsored content. Um and I think that'll I think people will appreciate that for the same reasons they appreciate, you know, your channel. Yeah, I think I have a very uh, particular vision that of how I want to work with brands in the future. And I hope I'm going to be able to make it work and that the brands will be good with it. But whatever, whatever branded content I do, first of all, I want to keep it uh, very low, maybe one video a month. Like I would like to keep maybe only 25 30% of my content actually sponsored and have the rest 
be completely unsponsored. And the brands that do come on to sponsor me, I want to do the, the content. I want to make the content in a way that actually brings value to the audience. Whereas where the brand, where having the brand in the video can actually bring additional value to the audience and make the content better for them. I know it sounds a bit abstract when I'm <laughs> talking about it this way, mm -hmm. but hopefully I'll be able to make it work and you can see it in the coming month. But yeah, I, I really try to, I really want to integrate the brands in a very authentic and seamless way into the content where, where the, the audience, the viewers watching don't have to wonder in their head, did the video idea come first or the brand come first? And I want to make it very clear that there are videos that I'm making anyways, but this brand that I love happened to want to sponsor the video. So I integrate it into video, but it's, it's already something I'm wearing anyways, or something that I didn't know, but I, that, that I personally tried, heard great things about and generally enjoy now and that I'll keep using in the future. Right. That makes total sense. That's the way that, I mean, we, we talk about that similar, uh, kind of mindset as well. And, that doesn't sound abstract at all. That's, that's exactly the way it comes out. Well, we do have a series or a session that we do called Rapid Fire Questions. Are you familiar and are you ready for them? Yes, sir. I, I've listened to your podcast. I am familiar. <laughs> uh, Five-star reviews only. We accept. So just saying. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oxfords or Brogues? Brogues. Morning shower or evening shower? Depends on the season, but usually evening. Oh, seasonal change. That's interesting. Uh, you cardio or lifting? Lifting. Notch lapels or peak lapels? Oof. Uh, right now, I would say peak. Yeah, peak is in. Chinos, jeans, or trousers? Um, trousers, but not the suit trousers. Like more relaxed trousers. Like those, like those pinstripe ones you rock. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, loafers or sneakers? Sneakers. Navy or charcoal suit? Navy. And the last book you read? Ooh, the last book I read. I don't really read a lot. <laughs> like most of the content I consume is, is usually video or written online, but I do read sometimes. And the last book I read was Crushing It by Gary Vee course that our patron saint of entrepreneurship <laughs> and uh if you're getting into the shower and you like want to pump yourself up what's the song you're listening to uh, i don't listen to music usually i'll listen to a podcast if i do want to listen to something to pump you up yeah, pump yeah, up yeah. Songs? i mean <laughs> let me rephrase that i do listen to music but <laughs> not maybe not in the shower like usually i'll go without without anything with no music or with a podcast if i want to Oh, okay. Well, what songs kind of what kind of music pumps you up? Um, I like a lot of different genres. I would say the only genre that I don't like too much would be hard rock, metal, that sort of stuff. Other than that, I'm pretty flexible. I like all kinds of different genres. But to to get into the mood, like just sort of like ambiance backtrack, similar kinds of tracks as the ones I use in my in my videos, like lo-fi, hip hop, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff, like loungy. New York rooftop bar kind of music. Yeah, I like that. Well, it's good. You pass rapid fire. So what then in the next like six, 12 months, like what are you like really excited about? So I would say I'm excited about 
potentially maybe moving to London. Uh, it really depends on how Brexit goes, which is something we, we're all really... find out at the end of the week, right? Yeah, we should. We should. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be, uh, it'll be good news. But depends on, depending on how that goes, I may be moving to London this summer towards July. So super excited about that if it does happen. Otherwise, I'll just move back to, to France, to Paris. And then super excited about, you know, just my content on uh, making more videos, seeing how far I can take it and how, how much I can improve with my videos. And also some, uh, some work I'll, I'll be doing with a couple of brands, which I'm really excited about in the future as well. Mm -hmm. You start to develop a laundry list of videos and it's like, you have to start trying to pick and choose which one to prioritize. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, I hope you do less marathon editing sessions because I keep seeing in your story that you're spending, not only are you spending all night editing, but like eight to 10 hours of exporting on your computer, your poor MacBook and your poor brain. I hope, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope you develop true. a little more balance. I do tend to uh, end up with having to finish up and edit last minute and have to do like a sometimes a 14 to 15 hour marathon where I just edit the video nonstop and then export it, go to bed, sleep only like five or six hours because I got to get it up next morning and then wake up and just kind of <laughs> submerge and just publish the video. Is it, are you exporting 4K? Is that why it's, it's taking so long on the MacBook or is it an ordered model? No, I'm not. It's actually a, it's actually one of the more recent MacBooks. It's a pretty good MacBook actually, but I think it's just uh, the footage is really heavy with all the color grading and stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. I was one. I was wondering. I'm always wondering as you, because uh, like the one you had 15 hours or something. So, will you ever do any like behind the scenes stuff, like color grading tutorials? Because I'm sure people ask you about that all the time. Yeah. So I've been getting a bunch of requests requests for photo, like photography editing tutorials for my Instagram photos, like how I take those, as well as some, uh, yeah, some tutorials on like video editing and that sort of stuff. So maybe I will get into that. For now, my channel has been pretty fashion focused, fashion and lifestyle focused, I would say. But since I'm getting a bunch of requests for that, maybe I will make a how to take fashion pictures or something. Nice. Well, I definitely watch it. And uh, yeah, we're excited to see what you have going on in the next six, 12 months. We'll have to have you back on the show uh, after you get a few more viral videos and uh, another 100,000 subscribers under your belt. So um, if people want to find you, uh, where's the best place? Yeah, so it's Tim DeSaint, D-E-S-S-A-I-N-T, on all platforms. My main ones are YouTube and Instagram, so you can just type that in there. Cool. We'll put all that in the show notes, and thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, guys. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.